1964 that he led the first bombing attack into North Vietnam by the United States. Just a mere 13 months later, in September of 1965, he was shot down, captured, and spent the next seven and a half years in a prison as a prisoner of war. And for those of you who are of my generation and older, just these two words will let you know how bad it was, the Hanoi Hilton. Um, He was beaten daily. His leg was broken twice. Uh, He was beaten so badly on the head that he lost uh, his eardrums on both, both of his ears exploded. Uh, he mutilated himself so he wouldn't be able to be used as a propaganda tool. Uh, and due to his resilience and resistance, eventually he was isolated in the last four years as a prisoner of war. He basically was in, uh, was in confinement by himself. In 1976, uh, he was awarded the highest military honor that can be given by receiving the Congressional Medal of Honor, which is usually reserved for those who have died, uh, because of how he in, he was the senior officer at the Noy Hilton, and he was able to uh, a code of conduct so how they could deal with the torture. Uh, he was able to keep communication with them, and because of his service to our country in those seven and a half years, he was awarded this this unique honor. Unfortunately, most Americans who remember anything about Vice Admiral James Stockdale. Remember him as a confused, white-haired, hard-of-hearing old joke who mysteriously showed up in a vice presidential debate in 1962, and if you'll go to the next slide, in his opening statement asked the questions, Who am I? Why am I here? I remember that debate, and I remember the ridicule that was given to him because of that. Twenty years later, on the anniversary of that debate in the year 2012, columnist Eric Brown wrote this, quote, White-haired, suffering from hearing loss from his captivity, untrained in the dark arts of televised celebrity and the even darker arts of political soundbiteology, Stockdale sometimes seemed dazed and confused during the debate, which became symbolized by what he chose as his opening line of his opening statement, the rhetorical question, who am I, why am I here? Uh, Our our country, Saturday Night Live, ridiculed this hero. Uh, Dennis Miller uh, gave a a very uh, passionate defense of Admiral Stockdale. Yet this question is still fundamental and and foundational. It shapes how we see ourselves. It shapes how we interact with others. It shapes how we conduct our lives. How do you answer that question? Who are you? Why are you here? And is the sum total of your identity defined by who we are in Christ? I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul uses the phrase in one of Paul's prolific phrases in all of Scripture is, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So this morning as we look at this passage, I want us to rethink our identity in Christ, to think about that. Uh, Is the sum total of my identity defined by who I am in Christ? Or am I also defined by my family of origin? Am I also defined by my ethnicity? Am I also defined by my life experiences in my personality? 
And, and are these things acceptable identifiers in identifying one another? Is it okay to do that? And let me put it another way. It, it, it comes forth in, in statements like this. I don't see color. Now, I know what people are trying to say when they say that. But if I walk up to Michael and I say, Michael, uh, you're my brother and I don't see color. I, what, my, my, what my premise is this morning is this. I've just insulted him. I've just insulted him. Because God created him as a black man. As a black man. If I walk up to Rudy and I say, Rudy, God bless you, brother. I don't see color. I've just insulted him. Based upon my understanding of our text today, I've just insulted him. I I know what people are trying to say when they say that, but God created him as an Hispanic. God created him that way. And so part of, of, as we think through, especially in the times and days in which we live, we need to think through who we are. Is it okay to take pride in being a Georgia boy? Is it okay to take pride in being from West Texas? Is it okay to take pride in being from East Texas? I don't know about that one, but, but, but you know, is it okay? Is it okay of saying, I'm Ohio born and Ohio bred, and when I die, I'll be Ohio dead? You know, is it okay to say that? Is it okay to, 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 to cherish and embrace the fact, for me, I'm a Midwesterner? I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up north of the Mason-Dixon line. Is is that okay? Answering the identity question will shape and form, as we said earlier, how you see yourself. We live in a day and time when, when one race might consider itself superior to the other, or because you're a certain race you need to be ashamed, or because and all this stuff going on. How do we see ourselves in this? If, if all we identify ourselves is a believer in Jesus Christ, we've just insulted God. We've just insulted God. How you interact with people in this church, how you interact with family members, how you interact with the world who's not like you. How do we do that? When we answer the identity question... It's going to shape and form how you see yourself and how you interact with everybody around you in this church, in your family, and in the world of those who are not like you. You know, there's things that I do that my wife scratches her head and say, I don't know. She said it to me last night, and uh, uh, I I shared it with the Bible study class this morning. My wife will sometimes say to me, you are a weird little man. (laughs) And, And I am. There's things that I do that are just weird. My mind is going all the time. I'm thinking about stuff all the time. Just, you know, crazy stuff. You know, just stuff that just, you know, I mean, it just just constantly moving. I'll do stuff like this all the time. You know, I don't know why I do that. You know, or, or this one drives my wife crazy. Like if I'm at a ceiling fan, sometimes I'll do this in front of my eyes because that way you can see the blades better, you know? You see the blades better. I don't know why I do that. I guess it's just because I'm a weird little man. You know, I'm just a weird little man. But God created me a weird little man. You know, you know. And here's the thing. Here's what Lisa told me. She said, "She said you are a weird little man, but you're my weird little man." 
Okay? My little weird little man. So, how do we look at this? This morning, I hope to edify you today by guiding our thinking according to the Scriptures as we consider what a balanced biblical view of identity entails. When we talked about 1 Peter, we talked about... I mean, there is a huge identity crisis in our culture right now. Am I a male? Am I a female? Am I, am I this or am I that? You got, you got different people identifying as this or different people identifying as that. You know, just whatever makes them feel good at the moment. Or what is, it comes to identity, what, the, what, do, what does the Scriptures teach? Scripture presents identity, not as a single note. I'm just not one thing. Scripture presents identity rather as a melody and a harmony of an entire orchestra. I'm this and I'm this. I'm not one thing. I'm this and 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 I'm this. You know, uh, here uh, a few months ago, found out that uh, about, and I mentioned it to you, found out that, that my uh, paternal grandmother, her parents were, were Irish and, and Blackfoot Indian. And, and as soon as I found that out, I got on the Internet and I wanted to find, I want to go up there. They, they're, they're, in, they're in northern Montana and Canada. And I think, boy, that'd be cool to go up there. Why? Why such an interest? Because it has to do with identity. It has to do with identity. God created us and made us unique individuals that were not just one thing. We're made up of, they're, they're, I, I mean, I like jazz music. My wife hates jazz music. I love jazz because there's no words to it. All you do is just listen to it and let the music move you however you need to be moved that day, okay? I love jazz music. If I, I, you say, well, you don't... I'm gonna, I don't listen to gospel. Oh, I know that makes me a sinner, you know? I don't. If I've got a choice to drive, whether or not I'm going to listen to KCBI or plug in huge... I love this guy's name, Huge Groove. I mean, what a great name. For a, for, a, for, a, for a jazz guy, huge groove. I'm going to listen to huge, okay? I'm just, but God has made us this unique. We're, we're all bits and pieces of different things. And, and, and here's another point. And this is what Peter makes when he talks about, remember that we are strangers and aliens, but we're also chosen by God. We have a relationship to this world, and we have a relationship to God. We are... We ne- are in this world. My life is not just about the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that God gives me on this earth. It's not just about that. It's not about how much I can accumulate. It's not about uh, uh, what privileges I might experience. It's not about any of those things. It, it, it's my, my life, we never merely live in this world, nor do we never merely live before God. How I live horizontally affects how I'm living vertically. And how I'm living vertically affects how I'm living horizontally. You can't separate the physical aspects of who you are from the spiritual aspects of who you are in Christ, which is why people in heaven right now groan, groan to be reunited with their bodies. You're going to be able to recognize me. I'm going to be able to recognize you. And we're not going to be this monochrome type of people who just, you know, are, are, are asexual. Uh, you know, I'm not sure whatever color plate is going to be on there. We are going to be black and white 
and yellow and red and brown. There is going to be people from every tribe, nation, kindred, and it's going to be this big, huge, mass humanity that are different from each other. Paul begins in this passage. Who are we? Paul begins by stating our most, our most significant identity marker, which is our solidarity in Christ. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. Now, there's debate whether or not, depending on which translation you have, whether Paul is talking about us individually, that we've put off the old self, who we are in Adam, that we've put on the new self, who we are in Christ, or is this a reference corporately? Is he talking about the church? And when you look at verse 11, it kind of tilts it towards that way, but when you look at further at the whole context, it seems to be tilted more towards the individual because of the issues of sanctification. And it's possible, rather than being either and, it's, it's, uh, uh, or either or, it's both and. That it's dealing with the aspects of who we are individually. That when we came to Christ, we put off the old self of who we are in Adam, and we put on the new self, who we are in Christ. But also when we came to Christ, we were placed into the universal body of Christ. And so we're no longer part of the kingdoms of this world. We're no longer part of... of, We've been been rescued out of the family of Satan. And we have been put into the body of Christ and are children of the living God. And so it's, it's... Again, you have people that will... The minority view is that it's talking about uh, the, the church body. Uh, the majority view is talking about individuals. But, but, but whichever view, and again, I, I, I tend to, to kind of look at this, and, and, and hopefully it's not wrong, that when you see these things like this, especially in John's Gospel, that it's not really, sometimes I don't think it's, it's like I said, an either or, it's a both and. Because both things are true. I've put off the old self and the wicked deeds. I've put on the new self in righteousness with Christ. Christ has robed me in His righteousness. But I'm also part of the universal body of Christ, which expresses itself in the local body. But look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Here, here, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. So is verse 11 teaching us that in this new humanity, in the aspect of the corporate aspect of it, that distinctions no longer exist? That within the church, there is no uh, uh, slave or free. Within the church, there is no Jew or Gentile. Within the church, there is no barbarian or Scythian. And, and that's, that's true. But if there are no distinctions then why does Paul mention slaves and free in verse 22? Look at what he says. Slaves, obey in everything those who are under your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now again, this is not, we, we, we can't take and impose what happened, the slavery in our country, and, 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 and equate that with what's going on in the Roman Empire. That, 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 that's, that's taking that experience and talking about it, and we don't have time to get into all the differences and, and what's going on here. And it's not, this is not the Bible's, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for here? This is not, not the Bible's uh, agreement that slavery is okay. That, that's not what he's talking. If this is the position that you find yourself in, this is how you live your life out to please the Lord. But, but why does he do that? He says, he says in that verse that we just read in verse 11, there's neither uncircumcised or circumcised. There's not Jew, there's no Gentile. Yet in chapter 4, in verse 10, he writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom. And then in verse 12, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you. He's a Gentile like you. He, he's part of the uncircumcised. Well, wait a second, Paul. You just said that, that in Christ there's not circumcision or uncircumcision, and yet you specifically talk about these guys based upon the fact of whether or not they are circumcised or uncircumcised. You say there's no, free, there's no slave and no master, yet you specifically talk about this is what God expects from the masters, this is what God expects from the slave. So what's going on here, Paul? You say out of one side of your mouth that in Christ none of that exists. But on the other side of your mouth, you're addressing these people in these specific ways that you say, seemingly say it doesn't exist. What is Paul doing here? Paul's point is that our identity in Christ, that our identity in Christ is the ruling paradigm and organizing center of our new humanity or identity. I'm in Christ. And the, what it, it's a new paradigm. It organizes, it rules every aspect of who I am. It also means that our identity in Christ, our in Christ relationship, transcends anything that may differentiate us. In other words, if you didn't vote for the same person I voted for in the election, we just disagree on that. But our relationship goes beyond that because we're in Christ. We're in Christ. If, if you don't like jazz music, and I don't know why you wouldn't, but, you know, you know, but if you don't, that's okay. Because our taste in music, what transcends our relationship is the fact that we're in Christ. We're in Christ. That is the trump card. That is the thing that, 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 that's first and foremost. You're my brother. You're my sister. Because we are in Christ. And the other things, while we can have good discussions on them, while we may disagree on them, they should never come between our relationship that we have in Christ. I should never walk away and say, oh, I can't believe. 
believe they think something like that. Forget them. Forget them. It means that we can sit down at the same table. It means that we can break bread together. It means that we can love one another. It means that we can care one another, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our political persuasions, regardless of where we're at on the economic scale, regardless how much education we may have or don't have, regardless of our skills, regardless of our abilities, regardless of what part of the country we came from, regardless of anything other than that. The first and primary and most important thing is We are in Christ. And therefore, not only am I commanded, but I can love you with a love that is beyond comprehension. Because we're in Christ. Nothing about who you are or what you've had done or has been done to you excludes or precludes you and I from viewing and treating one another as in Christ persons. Colossians 3.3 3, For you, and that you is a plural, for y'all have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In God. I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim. I don't want to embarrass him this morning, but I remember Carl's testimony. I remember when he shared it with our Bible study class and how white police officers treated him and how it broke my heart. And now he said, I didn't like these people. And the work that God has done in his heart we're brothers, aren't we, Carl? We love each other. You even love my dad, don't you? <laughs> and, and dad, you love him, don't you? <laughs> How did that happen? That's right. We're in Christ. <laughs> but we love one another. Why? We got the same Savior. The same blood that was shed for my sins was shed for your sins. And God is not a, the God of, of a white man or a black man or a brown man. God's not the God of a, of a, of a man or a woman or a Jew or a Gentile. He created all of us. And because we are in Christ, regardless of what's happened to us in the past, regardless what I may have done, regardless what may have been done to me, if somebody's in Christ, I can love them. I can love them. That's the center of our identity. That's the center of it. But we err if we make it the sum total of our identity. We err. Because it's not 
who we completely are. Because who I am is also determined by the distinctiveness of me. And that's found in chapter 3, verse 12 through 4. And, and I think I've got 16. Actually, uh, should be... Well, yeah, I can go all the way to 16. It's probably more, more specifically to verse 6. The transcendence of our relationship with Christ does not destroy our distinctions. In other words, when I came to Christ, I, I didn't quit, quit ceasing be somebody, being somebody from Ohio. I'm glad I grew up in Ohio. I like Ohio. I like the weather. I liked the people in the sense that if you go up and ask them, hey, you going to join us for church Sunday? No, I ain't coming. <laughs> okay. You know? I mean, one of the things that first shocked me, I told you this, one of the things that first shocked me when I moved down here was talking to people and saying, hey, come and join us. Oh, yeah, I'll be, you bet you, I'll be there. And I think, oh, my goodness, we're, we're going to have 15, 20 people here today. These new visitors. And then I found out real quick, they're just being nice. You know? They're just telling you what you think you want to hear so they don't hurt, they'll, they'll lie to you so they don't hurt your feelings. You know, where I grew up, it was, I ain't coming. Okay, well, and if they said, I'll be there, you know what? They'd be there. They'd be there. When we got saved, the transcendence of our relationship in Christ doesn't destroy our distinctions. If it did, then why in the world, when you read the book of the Revelation and you read some other the, the, uh, uh, apocalyptic literature, you find that it's people from all nations, all tongues. I, I don't know how that's going to work. You know, we're, all, we're not going to speak one language when we get to heaven. I'm still going to speak English and really, really poor Spanish. Buenos dias, you know. Elizabeth makes fun of my Spanish all the time. Polo campero, you know. I'm still, I, I don't know how all that's going to work. But I do know it's going to work. And we don't lose our distinctions. We don't quit being who we are or how God created. It doesn't destroy them, but it shapes and revitalizes them. And this re re revitalization enables me to appreciate how God made me and enables me to love and serve those who are not like me. Nobody is superior to anybody else. Nobody. But that doesn't mean that I can't appreciate how God made me. That doesn't mean you can't appreciate how God made you and the distinctiveness that is yours based upon either race or culture or ethnicity. That we all have these things to, to learn. You know, again, one of, the, one of the fascinating things to me and one of the things that I just has just... I still think about it, is, is Rudy and Hannah's wedding. And when, when it came time for pictures, you know, how, you know how it is here. You know, you have the bride's family come up, then you have the groom's family come up. Well, Hannah comes up, and, you know, there's mom and dad, you know, brother, and a couple grandma, you know, grandma, grandpa, whatever. And, you know, there, you know, seven, eight, maybe nine people standing up here. And then Rudy's family. I'm not kidding you. They started down here. And they went all the way over here. And I know Rudy doesn't have that many brothers and sisters. I know he doesn't have that many grandma and grandpas. 
But in Rudy's culture, if you're the third cousin, fifth, fifth, fifth away, you're part of the family, right, Rudy? He had, I mean, it's everybody up in there. And Lisa, when she came back from the, from the baby shower, she said, man, it's just, it was neat to see all of Rudy's family just, just be there. Now, I'm, I'm sure that sometimes that can be a headache because you've got all these people you know, in your life. But I'm sure other times it's a blessing to know that you've got all these people that love you and support you. Now, that's a, that's a difference. But I sat there and I go, wow, that's pretty neat. That is pretty neat. I didn't go, what in the world are all them folks doing up there, you know? Don't they know this is how it's done here in America? You know? No. That uniqueness that, that ministered and encouraged and helped me to think, you know, what is family? What does family really mean? How, 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 how much is family really involved? And that's what Paul is teaching here. It, it, this revitalization, not only we learn to appreciate how God made us and, and where we grew up and the experiences we've had and, 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 and our culture and ethnicity and the uniqueness of who we are and how that all blends together to be a blessing to other people, but it also enables me to say, you know what, You're, it, we're not alike on this, but different doesn't mean right or wrong. It's just different. Now, sometimes difference does mean right and wrong. A man marries a woman. A woman marries a man. Difference can mean right and wrong. But a lot of things, it's just different. It's just different. And we learn how to love and serve those who are not like us. And Paul explains these implications. Again, remember, he says, in this new humanity, there's no, there's no circumcised, uncircumcised, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. There's no barbarian, there's no this, there's no Christ is all in all. But then look at beginning in verse 12, he spends a lot of time, a lot of time talking about distinctions. Distinctions. So Paul, let me, let me apply it to me. Paul explains the implications for my identity. I'm a church member. I'm a member of this local church. So what does that mean for me? Well, for me, it means that I have to put on, because I'm part of God's chosen, holy, and beloved, I need to make sure I have a compassionate heart, that I'm kind, that I'm humble, that I'm meek, that I'm patient, that I bear with, with, that I bear with other people, they bear with me. If I have complaint against someone, I bear with them. I forgive as the Lord's forgiven me. I put on love, which binds everything together. I let the peace of Christ rule in my heart because uh, uh, I've been called in one body. I'm also thankful. I let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. I, I teach and admonish. We teach and admonish one another. And with, when, when it comes time to sing, I sing. What I loved about listening, I mean, Noah sings. Now, you can't understand what he's saying. But he sings. And to me... That was the prettiest voice in here this morning. Listening to him sing. I was blessed by that. No pretense. No, man, I don't hear me sing this wrong note. He just sang. Why? Because he's listening to us and learning from us how that when we gather together, 
we sing to the Lord because we are rejoicing. So we come in here not because, you know, well, you know, we got to justify Jubal Sally for something, okay? So just, just come sing. We've got to have somebody do it. No, it's an opportunity. And I, pre- I mean, when Jewel's picking and praying and, 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 and pick, it, I, the songs that we learn and stuff, it gives us an opportunity to praise the one who made us, who saved us, who redeemed us, who's going to glorify us one day. So it's an opportunity not to worry about what the person's, not, not to be on our phones, not to be doing, I've got to catch myself. i got to you know, make sure, okay, I'm not looking at the sermon notes, Greg. It's time to sing. Be a part of the community and sing. Those opportunities, that's part of my responsibility. I'm a church member. And part of my distinctions as a church member means this is part of who I am. And whatever I do in word or deed, I'm to do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's why we have confession and praise. That's why we do because it gives us an opportunity to fulfill our roles, our responsibilities, our privileges. As a church, I'm more than just someone in Christ. I'm a member of this church. I'm more than just somebody in Christ. I'm a husband, a son, and a father. Verses 18 through 21. Wives, submit yourself to husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh. Oh, man. Don't be harsh. I'm more than somebody in Christ. That's the primary aspect of my identity. But I'm also a husband. God says, don't be harsh with your wife. Don't be harsh with her. I'm a child. Verse 20. Now, I don't obey my parents. I'm not under their home anymore. I'm an adult. God doesn't hold me accountable for that. We disagree on some things. I've learned some things from them. I've learned some things from them not to do. Just as my children have learned some things from me to do and learned some things from me not to do. And if you're not learning both... You're not being real about the home you grew up in. But I'm still to honor them. Show them respect. Because they're my parents. So there's a role as a son that I have to play. I'm, I'm more than just someone in Christ. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Lest they become discouraged. I, I, I'm also a father grandfather I can still provoke my children I know the buttons to push I've pushed them before but I'm not to do that I'm to be an encouragement to them I sent Cassie a Mother's Day card told my boys I was praying for them this morning I think about Job and I mentioned this Wednesday night. Job would, his, his kids are all grown when we meet Job. Yet he goes and he, he prays for them. Father, if they've done anything against you that they don't know about, forgive them. And still, even though his kids are grown and 
He's still serving them as a high priest and interceding to God on their behalf. I'm in Christ, but I'm also a church member. I'm also a husband. I'm also a son. I'm also a father. I'm also a pastor. And in verses 23 through 24, how we apply this to us today as it relates to slaves and masters has to do with our employment. Has to do with our employment. I'm to obey. I don't, I'm accountable to our elders. I'm accountable to you as a church. If, if all I do all day is, is you know, some, my dad will kid me, he says, you make real good money for a guy that just works two days a week, you know. Now, if all I did was two days a week worth of work, I am getting paid way too much, and somebody needs to call me on that. I'm accountable. I, I am to obey in everything those who are my earthly masters. I'm, a, I'm not to do by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever I do, I'm to work as to the Lord and not for men. I'm to work that way. I, I've, again, I've shared, I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I've shared with this with you before as well. When I was at UPS and was a part-time soup over EAMs, I was the lowest paid of the four part-time soups. You're not supposed to tell each other salary, but that didn't stop us from telling each other salary. I was the lowest paid because I came out of the hub. All the others were, were part-time drivers before. I was the lowest paid. I mean, I'm not talking about just a few cents. I'm talking about lowest paid. And, and uh, my, Mark Jones was my supervisor for a couple years, and I really enjoyed working for Mark. And, and, and Mark would say, I, I mean, I, Greg, I, you're, getting, you're underpaid. And I'd go and I'd say, Mark, okay, he'd give me my, I'd get my evaluation, which is always was fours or fives. And I'd say, Mark, I'm going to say this one time. I could say this every year. I'm underpaid. You, this company's not doing me right. I know they're not doing me right. You know they're not doing me right. And then, the, well, we just don't have the money to do it. We don't have, the, you know, we can't. He said, I've tried, but they say, corporate says they don't have the money to pay you more, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, okay, I've said this. I want you to know that I know where I'm at, but I don't work for you. I do, but I work for the Lord. And that's how I approached it. And that's how I kept from getting bitter. And that's how I kept from getting angry. And Lisa would say, well, why don't you just tell them if they don't pay you this much, and then you're out of here. And I would say, okay, are you ready for me not to have a job? Because the minute I do that, they're going to say, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Because nobody is indispensable. Nobody is indispensable. And when I left, the guy that they took my place was a guy that I trained as a driver. And because he had made top pay, he was making twice as much as I did when I left. Doing the same job that I was doing a week before. But they didn't have enough money to raise my salary. Hmm. Hmm. Where did that money come from? I could get in the flesh and start really talking about some places where it might have come from, but I'm not going to do that, okay? Where did that money come from? I worked for the Lord. I worked for the Lord. Yeah, I know, but I work for the Lord. I'm in Christ, but being in Christ shapes everything about me. It shapes the kind of a person. It shapes the kind of father that I am, the kind of husband that I am, the kind of son that I am, the kind of church member that I am, the kind of employee, worker that I am. It also shapes the supervisor that I am. Masters, treat your slaves. Now, I don't think Jubal's my slave. I hope he doesn't think that I think that, okay? But masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I'm not saying I've done it all the time. 
but I try to treat him fairly. Try to treat him the way that I would want to be treated. Because I want God to treat me that way. That way. Who I am in Christ shapes and guides everything. It's not the sum total I am, but I've, I, I'm made up of all different things. I'm, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a church member, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm an elder of this church, I'm also a supervisor, but I'm also co-laborers with fellow believers. Verses 2 through 4, where Paul says, continually steadfastly in prayer, uh, uh, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time praying also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am a prisoner, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, I need you guys to pray for me. We're co-laborers in this. Two weeks when we have, have the McCutcheons here. It, we, we need to encourage them. We need to get around them because we are co-laborers with them. We don't get to go to Brazil, but God has sent them to Brazil. And we get a chance to, to, to come along beside them and to help them. And that's part of our identity. And so we have certain responsibilities and, and, and certain things that we need to do to, to really get involved in part of, of, I appreciate Brother Larry's heart, part of his heart and, 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 and the heart of our elders and, and leadership within the church is that, that, that our missionaries are more than just somebody we cut a check to. Somebody we just talk about every now and then. But people that are just like us that we get involved and become co-laborers with them. But not only that, I'm a citizen of Kennedale. I live in the Crestdale neighborhood. Verses 5 through 6, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. That's hard to do at city council meetings. Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul talks about all these things where in verse 11 he says, in Christ there's not, you're not circumcised, you're not uncircumcised. In other passages, there's neither male nor female. There's neither this nor that. All these distinctions in Christ are not wiped away. They're just transformed and revitalized. This household code makes clear that the in Christ community is comprised of people who maintain their gender, who maintain their familial and social identities. We maintain our race. We maintain the uniqueness of how we're created and who we are. We maintain. Being in Christ does not take those things away. It makes our fellowship richer. It makes our fellowship deeper. It makes our community uh, an opportunity to expand because we've got all these different people with all these different backgrounds, with all these different experiences coming together and we learn and we grow from one another because of who we are in Christ. These earthly identities are important, but they are no longer what is most important. What is most important about me is not that I'm a pastor. What is most important about me is not that I'm a father. What is most important about me is not my race. It's not the fact that I'm a, I'm a Midwesterner. What's most important about me is the fact that I am in Jesus Christ and I'm your brother. However, while my earthly identities are no longer what is most important, they certainly can be cherished and appreciated but should never become what organizes us and what arranges us in determining who we are. Michael's a brother. 
He's a brother who's black. He's not a black brother. Brother comes first. Brother comes first. But brother doesn't take away the other identifiers. It just revitalizes them. He's my brother. That's how Paul is doing this and identifying this. Who am I? Why am I here? Sometimes we can appear as confused as Admiral Stockdale. Bless his heart. Like the quote that we read you, he was not skilled in being in front of, he's, he's not a TV, he, he doesn't play well to a TV audience. And he was, he, he was maligned and made fun of. horrible but sometimes we feel as confused as he appeared to be you and I are identified in multifaceted ways and those ways profoundly impact. I don't know what it's like to grow up as a black man I don't know I don't know, like, I don't know what it's like to grow up in the deep south I don't know I do know what it's like to grow up in the, in the Midwest. I do know what it's like to live through segregation. I, 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 I do know what it's like when we started integrating schools. I remember that. And, and my life and my life experiences have shaped me. And there's things that... that that I can identify with that you can't. And, and your life and your life experiences shaped you. And there are things that you can identify with that I can't. But because we're in Christ, we can learn and we can grow for one another. We are identified in multifaceted ways and we are profoundly impacted by them. Yet, yet, at the center of who you and I are is the Lord Jesus Christ who organizes and who makes sense out of the things, out of those earthly identifiers, those things that have happened to us, those things that we have done, those things that make us distinct and different. Christ organizes them, and, 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 and Christ makes sense of them and uses those things to bring glory to His name. Understanding our identity and our Listen, I, I, our culture is looking at taking away, is, is attacking identity and attacking biblical identity. Understanding our identity enables us to appreciate, appreciate and even embrace our distinctions and appreciate and love serving those who are different without any partiality. The first and foremost question is this, are you in Christ? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus? He doesn't care what you've done. He, it, it, uh, let me it, yes, I mean, sin is, sin, sin is an affront to Him. But you can come to Him, that's a better way of phrasing it, you can come to Him regardless of what you've done. You can come to Him regardless of where you grew up. You can come to Him regardless of 
of whether you've got millions in the bank or don't even have a bank account. Uh, you can come to him. None of that, none of that is, 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 what, is what gives you the, the, the capacity or the ability or the privilege to come to him. All you have to do is recognize the fact that without him, you have no hope of being made acceptable to God. And because of your sin, because God created us to serve him and, and, and humanity fell, but yet Christ came to redeem us and not just make us acceptable to God where we can be uh, in His presence when we die, but God came not only to save us and deliver us from hell, God came to save and deliver us from ourselves and He came that we might have life and might have it more abundantly. And when we put our faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ for our sins, we have a new relationship with Him. We have a new relationship with Christ. Are you in Christ? What are you, what are you trusting in to make yourself acceptable to God? It's not church. It's not trying to do the best you can. It's not being baptized. It's not walking an aisle. It's not knowing, having umpteen Bible verses memorized. So are, are you trusting who Jesus is and what He's done for you? to make you acceptable to God. And then secondly, do you embrace, I'm not talking about in a sense where we become proud and where we become arrogant, but do you embrace the earthly identifiers that make you your distinct you? Do you embrace that? You know, even the bad things, not saying that you love the bad, but that that even in those bad things, even in those things that have been difficult, God used those things. What man, as Joseph said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God took even those horrible things that you experienced, and as you have grown in your walk with the Lord, has taken and shaped those things to help you to be the person that you are today, to have the compassion that you have to have the knowledge, the wisdom that you have. And we can learn from each other. I, you know, I was sharing with Jubal this morning, and when we went to see Brother Denman yesterday, and we were able to have some time just to kind of talk, it might have been five, ten minutes. But I watched my wife. And I watched, watched her hold his hand, and just automatically just began stroking his hair. Just stroking his hair. I thought, wow. Wow. I've got all the degrees. I've got the knowledge. But just watching her, just love. Just stroking his hair. Just, we both wept as we spent time with him yesterday. We both wept. Sometimes she, that woman drives me crazy. She does. And I drive her crazy. How we made 40 years is beyond. Listen, if God can do that in our life, <laughs> I'm telling you, he can do that in any marriage. We are nothing alike. Nothing. 
We don't even communicate well to each other. I mean, we, we try. I said, what in the world? Greg, uh, she's like, Greg, what? I said, that's not what I said. Oh, that's exactly what you said. I said, no, that's not what I said. That's exactly what you said. No, that's not what I said. And instead of fighting <laughs> those differences, <laughs> instead of trying to conform them into our likeness, recognizing that God has made us unique and different. And those distinctions enable us to be better together than we are apart. God has made us all unique. You know, please don't be offended by this, but we're all a bunch of weirdos, okay? We're all a little weird. We're unique. We're different. We don't see things all the same way. Whether it's music, politics, food, drink, life. But we are committed to the same Lord. And I do think that all of us want to please Him in how we live our lives. And want the Word of God to guide us. So as we are patient with one another, as we exhibit compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has to complain against another, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And as we above all put these on, love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed we were called in one body, and be thankful. As we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, Thankfulness in our hearts to God. And, and as we, whatever we do here, whether it's word or deed, everything that we do here, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As we do that, we are much better together than we are apart. Thank the Lord that we're in Christ. But also thank the Lord that we're different from each other. We're different from each other. And as the French say, vive la différence. <laughs> Praise God for that as well. I get to learn from you. I get to learn from you. And see things. And be blessed. Be blessed by a wedding picture. To think and challenge my thinking. To expand my horizons. And to see how that should shape and work itself out in my life. What a joy and privilege it is to be part of a community that's so different. It's so different. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. 
use your word today to encourage and strengthen us and to rejoice in the gifts of one another that you've given to each of us. May you be honored and glorified through this time. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're going to give you a time just to time of silence before the Lord. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, please talk with us. Or you can call upon Christ right now. And if you do that, talk with us as well. If you do know Christ as your Savior, I just encourage you today to think about these things. And see how the Lord would want to work those things out in your life. Let's go to the Lord in time of silence. And then we'll close out our worship today.